Hello and welcome to the DanceCast, where I explore dance as an art form, traveling to non-traditional places and with non-traditional doers. I'm your host and my name is Silva Lapkain. Welcome to episode 36 of DanceCast. I'm still talking to people in the US who work within the danceability method. And in this episode, I got the chance to talk to Connie Van Darakis, who is a master danceability teacher who currently serves on the executive board and working on special projects with Danceability International. She has assisted Alito Alessi in two teacher certification courses in Vienna at Impulse Tanz International Dance Festival in 2014 and 2018. She served in the University of the Arts for 30 years in several roles, including Associate Dean in Division of Liberal Arts, Title IX Coordinator, Dance Education Coordinator, and Assistant Professor in the School of Dance. Connie's academic degrees include a bachelor's in exercise leadership for Northern Illinois University, MA in dance theater practice from Lipa John Moores University in Liverpool, and graduate work at Temple University, and is ABD EDD from years 1985 to 1991. Connie was a recipient of the Teachers for Africa program and spent 10 months teaching in the Gambia, West Africa, in 1993 to 1994. She has presented papers taught and performed in England, India, Ireland, Malta, Austria, Germany, Mexico, and the Gambia, and all over the USA. Connie's passion lies in leadership for inclusive dance and movement in administrating, creating teams, mentoring, and partnering artists and educators all over the globe. This 30 minutes just flew by. I think I could have talked to Connie for hours. And maybe we'll do, maybe we'll need to record another podcast with her. But I just love to talk to her because she is a great in articulating her words and thoughts. And she always asks very good questions, like the questions in this episode. I hope you enjoy it. You have to tell me a little bit about what we're going to do and what we're going to talk about. I have no idea. Okay. (laughs) (laughs) I'll tell you. So we're going to talk about you. How did you start dancing? How did you get involved in danceability? Why did you get involved in danceability? What do you think are the strengths of danceability? Uh, uh, what do you think are the weaknesses? Where do you see, where, where would you love to see danceability in five years? Uh, where would you love to see yourself in your art career in 10 years? Mm-hmm. Um, you can choose whichever you want to go first. <laughs> okay. All right. So, yeah. All right. You... Tell okay. Well, I didn't. I actually don't know how did you got involved in dance to begin with. Oh, okay. Well, all right. I'll try to keep it short. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> um, but I actually started dance. I started Greek dancing. You know, oh, my, I remember this now. Okay. Yeah, because like I was like five years old, and my parents would take us to these Greek picnics. You know, these church picnics. And I would hear the clarinet and it just like totally possessed me and I would have to go find the band. And when I found the band, there were all these women like chanting 
And so I just grabbed on to the end of the chain. And I was, you know, the little kid that couldn't keep up with adult steps. So my feet were like flying. Um, but I, I, I never left the dance floor once I got there. Like, that's where I stayed all night. And my parents knew where to find me. You know, <laughs> it just. So, but um, growing up, we didn't have the economic means for me to take dance classes. Um, I remember my mom bought me a pair of ballet slippers and a book and said, when you finish the dishes, you can dance around the kitchen table. <laughs> so I didn't have any formal training until um, when I was in middle school. So seventh grade, I was determined to get on the pom-pom squad, which was the dance team. <laughs> and um, I tried out in sixth grade and I was miserable because I had not practiced. I didn't have any you know, coordination. So I worked really hard for that year to like, I remember in, well, it was seventh grade. I worked really hard on my physical fitness and my coordination. I was like, I'm going to make it. So my, I went to the auditions. My, I also networked with the people that were cheerleaders. Um, (laughs) That was just an intuitive moment, but I was like, I need to, I need to know these people. So I, um, I auditioned and I got in my last year of eighth grade before I went to high school. And it was remarkable. And I, I would say I wasn't the best Mm -hmm. (laughs) because I was probably the youngest in any kind of technique, but I loved it. I just loved those three minutes on the basketball court dancing, um, in my little outfit. It was just amazing. So, <laughs> so when I got to high school, I, there was a modern dance club, Orcasis, you know, very old school, right? And um, they did performances. So I was like, oh, I have to do that. So I did that for two years, and then I became too cool to dance. Oh, yeah. You know, like, oh, I'm too cool for that. And Really, it was a miserable time of my life. I didn't dance um, for like four years. And um, I would say emotionally and psychologically, I was tortured in a lot of different ways. But then when I went, like I did an associate degree before I went to a university. When I went to the university, um, I took a, took a drawing class. And I failed it because I I couldn't stand the idea of making art alone. You know, like being alone in a studio, spending hours on a drawing. I was just like, oh, this is so isolating. Who would do this? And so um, the next semester, I joined a ballet class. Never had a ballet class. And I loved it. And I remember my dance teacher, her name's Julie Kerberry, and she teaches at Mankato State University. She um, was doing, she had just finished her master's at Temple University. She was teaching at Northern Illinois University. And she handed me this script and she's like, you'd be perfect for this. You're going to perform with me in a, in a performance art piece. And that was it. I was sold you know, um, modern dance and and performance art. So I trained with her. And then 
I, my degree was in, in exercise physiology and like cardiac rehab. And she's like, what are you going to do after college? And I was like, I don't know. I don't want to work in a hospital. There's people dying in there. You know, I just didn't like my internship. Um, so she was going back to Temple to do her doctorate. And she said, well, why don't you audition for Temple? And so literally, um, <laughs> I applied to one graduate school. It was Temple University. I, you know, and I didn't have a lot of technique, but I was like, I'm going to do this. So I flew to Philadelphia and I, I auditioned and the, there was a woman, Idri Ferdon, who was my saint and savior, could see my passion, but she knew I was rough. So I didn't quite get in the dance department, but they said, you know, you should, you should take classes in dance and you should apply to physical because you could get an assistantship because I could teach aerobics and um, stuff like that. And so I did, and I got an assistantship and, um, and then I started taking dance classes and then I got incorporated in the dance department. And then I said, well, can I do a doctorate in dance? And they were like, well, you have to write it up because I wanted to do an interdisciplinary something. So I did, and I did it, and I did eight years of graduate school, fully funded, different kinds of assistantships, Um, and I took my oral and written exams for my doctorate, and then I was so burned out. Oh, gosh. (laughs) And so I thought, oh, let me do service. So for teachers for Sorry, my so connection I went and lived. So, what did you say? You get you. Oh. What did you decide to to do after you did finish your doctorate? So, um, I applied for Teachers for Africa, and I I got in, and I went and lived in the Gambia, West Africa, teaching at a uh, a girls' vocational school, and we danced and we did macrame and we did embroidery because they had to learn a skill at the school, you know, because educating girls back then was optional. Mm -hmm. So, and then, uh, well, my husband came to, I got pregnant with Maggie on uh, there. And so then I came home and had baby, baby. And I didn't, I I didn't ever write my dissertation. I guess my children were my dissertation. You know, at that, you know, um, and then, um, I had started teaching part-time again, my mentor, Idri Ferdon was like, Hey, go over to the university of the arts. They need an anatomy teacher. You'd be perfect for them. Go over there. And so I did whatever she told me whenever. (laughs) So I went down, you know, down to University Arts, I applied for the job, I got it, and then it grew into a full-time position, and then I became the dance education coordinator, and then, um, and then I went into administration, and I became a, uh, an associate dean, um, and it was that time, it was like 2010, I was going to take a sabbatical, I did a master's at, um, 
the Liverpool Institute of Performing Arts in, in Liverpool. At, uh, it's connected to John Moore's University in um, Liverpool. And in the I UK? was really interested. Huh? Yeah, in the UK. Okay. And I was really interested in tribal belly dance because of my my Greek roots. Oh. You know, going back to that, being obsessed with the clarinet. So I did a whole master's on tribal belly dance. It's migration in the 70s in San Francisco and how it how two techniques kind of like migrated out of that and compared the two techniques. And um, I had this wonderful, wonderful mentor there uh, at LIPA. Her name's Joe Butterworth. She's a remarkable dance educator, a uh, brilliant writer. Um, she ha- she's a force in the UK and, the- and in Europe for like writing books and really pushing dance forward. And she was running, she was working two jobs at LIPA and at the University of Malta. So she invited me to the University of Malta to like finish writing my thesis and to, you know, teach a few classes there. She was lovely. I mean, lovely. I mean, the people that have come into my life and helped my journey are just remarkable. And, um, but my hip, I had this problem with my hip. I was in chronic pain with my hip. So when I finished writing my thesis, I decided, okay, it's time to do a hip replacement. It's just time. I can barely walk. It's ridiculous. So I did in 2010. Is it 2010? Maybe. Yeah. Maybe 2011. And, um, when that happened, I couldn't like, it was weird because as dancers, we have such meticulous control over every little thing in our body. And all of a sudden I couldn't move my leg because they cut the muscles to do the surgery and it wasn't engaging right away. And I remember feeling like helpless, you know, like all these feelings overpowered me and it was an amazing experience, but I thought, oh my gosh, what about people that have to do this all the time? You know, like their leg doesn't work or, and I was really timid to go back to dancing. So I was looking for things to do, um, as part of my faculty research. And, um, I came upon danceability, uh, certification at Impulse Tanza. And I was like, yeah, I think I want to try that because I, I mean, my brother was, uh, disabled. He had a mental, uh, disability and he had a hearing disability. Um, I had worked with disabled children as a volunteer hmm. at summer camp. So it just like, you know, having that personal, it, it clicked. And the moment I walked into that studio, I was like, I'm home. This hmm. makes sense. You know, like it was a solid curriculum, like I could relate to it as a dance educator. Um, I could see its value. I um, We had some, an incredible group of, uh, you know, new people that were being certified that I just clicked with. Um, I was just blown away. So that's how I got in with danceability. I see. And like... 
I, I just literally fell in love with the whole vision and mission and the possibilities for building relationships through dance. It just like blew me away. Yeah, the mission and vision of danceability. I mean, Alito's amazing um, that he has been able to research for 35 years mm-hmm. this studio practice that I consider a, a contemporary studio practice. Mm-hmm. Um, it's actually revolutionary in moving dance forward in the mm-hmm. world because any anybody's invited to participate and learn and deepen. And I think that through an inclusive community, you know, the well-trained, quote-unquote, able-bodied dancer gets just as much out of it as a person who's just learning their own body um, in a, in a wheelchair or with a different kind of body or mind. So I, I was blown away. And so then, um, in 2013, I went and did the week long workshop with Alito in, then I joined the board. Then I did, I assisted him in the teacher training in 2014. I did the master training in 2014. Um, I performed in Tijuana with them. I was just like, I was smitten. But every time I did something, it just really reinforced like my passion, Mm. you know, like my own why. Like I want to serve in the arts. I want to do that. I love dance, but I'm not a concert dancer, you know, like myself. I'm not really, I don't have... I'm not a, a, a virtuosic dancer. That's not really, it, I could have been, but it wasn't important to me. It yeah. was more about the self-expression, um, my journey through it, my own evolution. Um, and uh, yeah, so that's why I went in that path. Um, I see. Yeah. I see. So you got certified for the first time in 2011? 2012 2012 okay Mm -hmm. wow yeah I know that feeling though you know I uh sort of had that awakening earlier that that I wanted to be in the room with diverse abilities and bodies um but once I entered the rooms like that I always felt like so home yeah yeah so accepted and welcomed and Mm-hmm. And really feeling the democracy of what art can do. Like mm-hmm. when Alita says the art of, of being together, like I really experienced that in those studio practice rooms. I mean, it's, it's, I mean, I remember being in the week long workshops and there were like 65 people in the room. And I thought, Oh, I wonder how he's going to do this. Mm. And it, I, I'm not going to say it's magic because it's not. It's just like practical. Okay. I have these kind of bodies. I have these kinds of minds. What exercises should I do? Let's put it together and let's let time evolve the relationships. And um, it, was, it was remarkable. Yeah, because I mean, every person is a contributor and creator in the room. Yes. And yes. this is actually so... You know, I don't know if I told you last time when we were chatting, um, my new obsession <laughs> is um, with the 
still very strongly recurring tradition and culture that is, is so for some weird reason staying quite strong is the idea of authority and obedience mm. in, a, in our dance culture mm-hmm. and then that made me think of like assessment and like how assessment in the dance field and especially when you study to become a dance educator or dance professional in college your assessment is still very authoritarian paced mm-hmm there is somebody outside telling you if your leg is high enough or if that tando is correct or, you know, whatever, that assessment. And I think that assessment has actually a lot to do why there is this threshold for people with disabilities in uh, getting into majoring in higher academia and dance because the assessment is so authoritarian-based. And I think that one of the dance abilities' strength is that the the teacher is more of a facilitator and the assessment happens within the group, within the individual and you become self-directed also. Yeah. I th- I think that's the beauty of improvisation, right? Mm. Because it's improvisation based. Yeah. Um, it really calls you to be responsible in the moment and to act in the moment. And so that moment by moment time, as you experience the dancing um, evolves yeah, and it has its own self correct. Yes. You know, like, yeah. And you oh, constantly, this- yeah. And you constantly think what the, what is this group going to need in order to get somewhere that satisfies my artistic need. And, and I'm believing that this, my artistic need serves the entire group. Yeah. But, and, and also I think it, there are um, direct applications out in the world. Like, when I, uh, when you're in the studio and you're facilitating or you're teaching people about danceability, you're, or when you're doing it, you're constantly reading the room, yeah. right? Opening your your levels of perception so that you can be at the proper moment, right? So you can arrive at the proper moment to make the next decision, and it's all about like uh, building those perceptions that are there, but we haven't disciplined ourselves enough to pay attention to. Mm-hmm. So then I walk out of the studio and I'm in public. And what are the things that I can perceive <laughs> in public? You know, I mean, it really opens your eyes to a whole new world, you know? And I remember my kids saying, like, I would see somebody and I'd say, oh, look at their gate, you know, blah, 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 blah. And they'd be like, mom, you have to watch everybody. And I was like, I can't help myself. <laughs> I go, there's such an interesting walk happening, you know, like, and sometimes like I'll try it on and I'm not mocking. I'm yes. just like, because like, I'm like, that's such an interesting way to move. Let me put that inside me and see how that <laughs> feels. And so I've embarrassed my kids a number of times. Um, and I have more, um, locus of control (laughs) with certain populations of people when I'm out in public. But, um, I think that's the beauty. That's one of the benefits Hmm. outside of just the dance studio. Yeah. I definitely, uh, see composition everywhere. Yeah. Yeah. And I, I think also, um, 
when you experience a democracy in dance, uh, in a dancing experience, then when you meet people with different minds and bodies in public, you also remember that democracy. Yes. And you, your mind shifts. And it's, it's also a teachable moment to public when you're, you know, like people that don't have interactions with people with different minds or bodies. And, you know, to point out things like, oh, you have a step up to your shop. You know, we can't come in your shop because we have a chair and it doesn't, doesn't get up. And so, I mean, it's, it really teaches a lot of things outside the studio too. Yes. Yes, it does. Yeah. Oh, that is so beautifully said, though. Uh, maybe this is like, I've been really, really intrigued with my idea of like, um, the values that I hold, what comes to dance education, and the kind of dance education that I want to provide in my next steps in my life. And how can I go there? And what are the essential steps? But I think I need to go back to lot to danceability mm -hmm. you know and i think in dance like the traditional dance educational world um that they haven't addressed the idea of 100 inclusion mm. and not totally in some small venues they have but it's usually a very specific niche like i work with and we do this mm. Um, but the, um, and, and also I would say that dance in general is about traditional dance technique is about imposing that technique on your body. Yes. But if you don't like, if you don't have legs, then does it make sense to be in a ballet class? Hmm. You know, and And people often say, well, you can just do it with your arms. Well, my arms aren't legs. So like the interpretation part really needs to be thought through in terms of pedagogy. Yes. I think uh, a lot more in terms of um, what can we learn from that body in terms of the ballet aesthetic? Yes. Not I'm going to put I'm going to put this on you. Yes. What can you bring To this aesthetic and I have to What give a shout out I, I have to give a shout out to dancing whales in in Cleveland Ohio mm. um, I started with them this summer and for the first time I was in the dance studio where it was a mixed ability situation where we were doing a ballet class and the the reasons of why they would do certain movements with their arms We're very well thought what comes to the usage of shoulders and arms in order to propel wheelchair forward or backwards in motion. Ah, and awesome. so a lot of the movements were like really emphasized on the shoulders and, and the well-being and the strengthening of the shoulders in the translations of the ballet movement to the arms. And for the first time, the pedagogical part clicked to me. Awesome. Yeah. Yeah. There are some people doing really good things. Yeah. There is you know, a really there, good there variety. Are. Yeah. Yeah. And, and there, there is a, I would say a, a spectrum yes. of what people are doing from, from very specific, you know, like I 
put this and we do this thing mm-hmm. to like danceability on the other end where we, you know, whoever walks in the studio, we're going to, we're going to dance. Yeah. And, and, and I want to say, you know, one of the strengths of danceability is it's a practical method. Yeah. You know, and the creativity or the artistic um, ideas that come out of the dancing are because you have these practical guidelines that take you through a, a sequential series of exercises so you can get to a point of free improvisation, you know? Yes. And um, that's what I, I really um, respect about yeah. the method. I personally enjoy the sequencing and the, mm-hmm. the scaff folding of exercises yes. ending into a free improvisation but with this huge sort of um, awareness to detail yeah it contextualizes it yes yeah and it gives in and in those boundaries of those exercises it actually creates more freedom mm-hmm. in the improvisation as always structures give yeah. you a freedom yeah yeah <laughs> Yeah. So, yeah, I'm, I'm really excited where danceability is going. I think that, um, you know, uh, Alito is working hard um, for legacy. Like, I mean, there's one thing about building the organization mm-hmm. and building the curriculum and and all of those things. I think that's solid. I think that the trainings are solid. Of course, there's always room for growth and new learning on tweaking those kinds of things, but I think it's solid. And now um, the next part is legacy. You know, like how do we, I mean, we are a worldwide organization. We do have independent affiliates in other countries that are very successful and moving forward. And I think that Um, All those things can be stronger, and I think that's going to happen in the next five years, is that um, the legacy of danceability is going to be established. Mm, Yes. Yes. Yeah. (laughs) That's what I'm excited about. Yeah, yeah. (laughs) And I have to say one thing that I do... um, also appreciate of this this method is that when I did the teacher training in 2003 my manual that I got was like what two centimeters thick and then when Alito did it in Austin it was like four five times that like the growth that still happens and his ability to stay open to that growth yes. within the method yes. is beautiful yes. And how yes. that that carries a huge strength to me. Yeah, because there's always learning. Like always there's those learning. aha moments that happen in the studio. You're like, oh my god, we need to put this in the in the manual. You know, like this is an important aspect. And it's so it's kind of like going through the refiner's fire, right? Yeah. Like, like the molding of the perfect piece of jewelry or or, or something is constantly being refined it until it becomes this gem. And I think danceability is the same way. For sure. There's something else I was going to say, but I forgot. Oh, I know. <laughs> oh, okay. <laughs> I remember now. Um, you know, I've been doing a lot of research and a lot of work 
um, right now for danceability. And I just want to say anybody who's interested in um, inclusive work should download the 350-page report from the World Health Organization, uh, Maya, in uh in Trier. Oh yeah, in Germany. Gave me that little gem in an email. It was like, oh, you should look at this. And it you can download it in different languages. But I want to tell you, it is packed full of information that we need as advocates. Um there's statistics and studies that talk about um disability and you know over a billion people are disabled in the world and it's growing because of aging and climates and, and economics and all these things. And it's just really important information to kind of like digest and have at the forefront of your thinking when people are like, Oh, that's nice. You know, no, it's more than nice. You know, (laughs) we're, we're growing our economic world. We are creating um, a, a better community of people in relationship with each other. It's not just about it's nice. Um, so like this report has, I, I'm still reading through it, but it's, it's so dense with really good information that I think anybody in the inclus- inclusive communities needs to, needs to look at it. Yeah, you can just look at it at um, the World uh, Health Organization and then the 2018 annual report. Mm-hmm.